0: Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the
1: time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely rare safety move by a nation.
0: 17 years of Palestinians and Israelis negotiating. <laughs> we hear a welcome to in the market with janet partial pull up a chair get close to your radio because we're going to think critically and biblically not mutually exclusive by the way and we're going to really and truly learn how to contend for the faith because there is an insidious movement that's working its way through the church capital c universal that really puts on the robe of what they're calling deconstruction what does that mean Well, you can imagine I've been waiting to have this interview because I just love the work that Alicia Childers does. She's a wife. She's a mom. She's an author. She's a podcaster. She's a blogger. She's a speaker. She's a worship leader. She is an award-winning CCM recording artist because she was part of the group Zoe Girl. Now she speaks at apologetics and Christian worldview conferences because God has taught her many, many, many things. And you can read about that experience In her book another gospel question mark and when you're done with that then read her book live your truth and then when you're done with that read the book that she and her co-author Tim Barnett have written that's hot off the presses the pages of my book are still warm it is called the deconstruction of Christianity what it is why it's destructive and how to respond this is all part of the latter days did we not talk about this over and over again on this broadcast look at your watch it says Matthew 24 And we're going to see this wanton abandonment of biblical truth. And then you drop it contextually into a world where the word of the year is post-truth, where feelings matter more than objective, knowable, applicable truth. And you have yourself a heyday with heresy. And that's exactly what's going on. And unfortunately, the word tells us that even the righteous will be deceived. So conversations like the one we're about to have are becoming more and more crucial as we step deeper and deeper into the latter days. Alicia, thank you from the bottom of my heart, not only for the gift of one hour of your time, but for the work that God has called you to, so dramatically different than where you were before, is where you are now, and how you're really identifying some of the problems in the church and teaching us to contend and to be watchmen on the wall. I also want to say at the start of this conversation how much I appreciated the tone of this book, that you really and truly say, if I can paraphrase your words, that you didn't write it with your swords drawn, but really with hearts broken— Because there are people who are walking away from the faith, and you point to old Demas that we find in Scripture who fell so much in love in this world, and he was working with Paul. Who does that when they're working with the man, Paul? And yet he did it, and so some are doing that today. So we need to fashion ourselves a good flashlight, take a look at this, see what we need to unpack this problem, and then to contend better for the faith. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here and for this tremendous book.
1: Oh, Janet, thank you so much for having me back. It's I'm thrilled and excited to have this time to talk with you.
0: I thank you so much. And you start out doing something important in the book, which is trying to define deconstruction, which in the final analysis after you and Tim write so eloquently is not that easy to define. It becomes more recognizable, I think, than definable. And you talk about those who really want to do some examinations of the historic aspects of Christianity, but that is different from those who are moving away purposely from historic Christianity. So I'm asking you to really condense multiple pages out of the book, but how should we, listening to you all across the country right now, how should we define deconstructionism?
1: Yeah, this is the million-dollar question, and it was honestly the hardest sentence that Tim and I wrote in the entire book. Our definition of deconstruction, we worked and reworked and reworked. And the reason we worked so hard on it is because we recognized that deconstruction is a word that many people are using in many different ways. In fact, if you ask 10 people, what is deconstruction, you're going to get 10 different answers. And so you have some, I think, well-meaning evangelical thought leaders saying things like, hey, deconstruct in a healthy way. But then you have other people saying deconstruction means completely leaving the faith. And so I started to think if it means everything, then it means nothing. So it has to mean something. So what Tim and I did Was we looked at how it's manifesting in culture, and we also recognized that it's a postmodern word. This is a Mm -hmm. word that flows out of postmodern philosophy that gained steam in the 60s. So, making those connections, how we define the word is that uh, faith deconstruction is a postmodern process of rethinking your faith but not regarding scripture as the standard. And that is the common thread that we see throughout the movement as we studied it, as we lived and breathed it. And although we know that people are using the word to mean something a little different, our hope is to defend that definition and maybe persuade the church to stop using the word deconstruction to refer to some kind of healthy process of discernment or sanctification, because how it's manifesting in culture is truly a deconversion from historic Christianity.
0: Beautifully stated. The other thing that was stunning to me was the numbers. You give all kinds of stats, and I had a couple of thoughts when I was reading the book. One was, I wonder if this would have been a cultural contagion, and that certainly is what it is right now, if we didn't have the social platforms that we do today, because this foments, this feeds, this creates converts to deconstructionism, without a doubt. But the second thing I thought was on those platforms, from TikTok to whatever, we're talking numbers sometimes in the millions. Talk to me about mm-hmm. these numbers, because that was almost... And this isn't a little sidebar story. This is a massive movement. So talk to me about how much we need to understand that this isn't a little hiccup. This is a juggernaut that we need to talk about.
1: Exactly. And I think you put it perfectly that this phenomenon of deconstruction, as it as we see it in our culture right now, does not exist in this way without social media. I mean, sure, people have always been leaving the faith. We talk about demons. We talk about this going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But there's a unique thing happening in our culture today, and that's social media. And in a lot of ways, we've recreated the Tower of Babel, and I I think you put it perfectly, it's a social contagion. So there are a lot of Christians thinking, well, this is just on the fringes, this couldn't be that big of a deal. But then you go over to TikTok and you just search that deconstruction hashtag, and what you're going to find is almost no posts that are saying, hey, use the Bible as your standard. We want to get back to um, the type of Christian faith that is what was passed down by Jesus and the apostles. No, what you're going to find is video after video, and I'm talking 20, 30 seconds, very short videos. That are meant to completely derail the faith and then they have millions of views and in many cases hundreds of thousands of likes in fact the evangelical hashtag has been used millions of times this Hmm. is not a small problem Wow Wow
0: and leave it to you Alicia to write a book that really addresses it compassionately truthfully unashamedly and that's what you've done yet again in this newest book the deconstruction of Christianity what it is why it's destructive and how to respond in my classroom. You know what I'm going to say, right? (laughs) It's required reading. Back after this. Christians really believe? What do we stand for? Do we know the essentials of our faith? That's why I've chosen I Believe as this month's truth tool. Know what you believe and how to convey the truth of God's Word to a hurting culture. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877 Janet 58, that's 877 Janet 58, or go to In the Market with Janet Partial.org. In their book, The Deconstruction of Christianity, Alicia Childers and Tim Barnett write this. Deconstruction is not about getting your theology right. It's not about trying to make your views match reality. It's about tearing down doctrines that are morally wrong to you to make them match your own internal conscience, moral compass, true authentic self, or whatever else is being called, whatever else it's being called these days. That's why I recommend to you Alicia's other book, Live Your Truth, that speaks volumes to that exact point. Yet, they write, the goal for all Christians should be to align our beliefs with the Word of God, despite our own personal feelings or beliefs on the topic. You're going to hear us talk about this ad nauseum over and over and over again. But Alicia, this is where the turning point was in your life. Another gospel started because you either were having to believe what was being taught in a church that was drifting, or you decided... And thanks be to God the choice that you made because the church has been so well served by your decision. You decided instead to roll up your sleeves, dig into the word of God and find out what it has to say. So you say that deconstruction is fundamentally at odds with Christianity. It necessarily must be if it refuses to accept the authority of God's word. Am I right?
1: Yes, absolutely, and I think that is one of the hallmarks of the deconstruction movement, despite how people might be using the word. The way that it's manifesting in culture is it's a shift of authority from an external source of authority like Scripture or even reality. I mean, we're, you know, we're not denying that people might even really become confused about the reliability of the Bible and want to know, well, why do I believe the Bible is authoritative? Why do I believe it's God's Word? And then we even say, if Reformation is not possible, if you're not in a place where you can just pull out your Bible and say, okay, I'm going to line up my views with what Scripture says— you still don't have to deconstruct. You can move into apologetics. This is where apologetics Mm -hmm. comes in, where you can look at arguments for, you know, the manuscript copying tradition and and look at the accuracy of that. You can look at the historical reliability of the Gospels. And so, you you know, apologetics can play a role. And that was really my story. And so interestingly, Janet, when I wrote another Gospel, I described my faith crisis of just becoming intellectually persuaded that I couldn't trust my Bible. And so I Mm. had to spend years studying this stuff, because I didn't want Christianity to not be true, but I really wanted to know what was true. And so for me, apologetics was that, was that thing that helped me. But in the book, in the first book, I actually described my journey as deconstruction. Mm-hmm. But in this book, I actually correct myself. Now that I've studied deconstruction, <laughs> I realized that's not what I did. I did not deconstruct. Sure, I mean, it was agonizing. It was years long. It caused me to dig deep, But I was always pursuing truth and being willing to follow it where it leads, whether I like what I find or not. Whereas in deconstruction, what we find is people are following some sort of internal moral compass, some sort of um, where the truth source gets moved from an external source to the inside, to your own heart, to your own thoughts and feelings and preferences. And that's why in the deconstruction movement, you often hear people say, this isn't about having correct beliefs. It's about getting rid of beliefs that are quote unquote toxic and harmful. And so those words are used though outside of the context of truth and really just depending on what you think is toxic and unhealthy to you. And so you can then get rid of any belief that makes you feel uncomfortable or makes you feel sad or depressed or something that you just feel doesn't make you thrive. And so really, it's this very subjective way of putting Mm -hmm. together beliefs. But then, of course, as we know, if you do that, you're going to end up with a religion or a God or, or a worldview that's really crafted in your own image.
0: Exactly. Exactly. As Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. And so there's going to be some worldview that you're going to subscribe to. I'm glad we're taking a few minutes to talk about language because both you and Tim really underscore that this is very much about verbiage and words need to be defined in its application. You use the Mormons as an example, which is a brilliant way of saying you may use the same word, but it has a markedly different meaning, such as the case in deconstruction as well. So I am joining your campaign that that's not going to be a word that I'm going to use in a positive sense. There are other ways to examine and sift and weigh and be a good Berean without deconstructing, mm-hmm. because in its application today, it's destructive. And not only deconstructing, it is destructive. And I think it's important to understand that. So here's another word, and that's the word evangelical. You know, I'm so glad that you brought this up in the book, because I've struggled. I know who I am, but if I'm asked to use a word to convey the concept of who I see myself as, evangelical is vacuous. And I know, for example, the Atlantic uses the term as a cudgel constantly, You say, brilliantly, it's perceived to be synonymous with misogyny, racism, homophobia, and the political support of Donald Trump. Spot on. That is exactly the case. Mm. I'll give you the Washington Post practically every other day talking about evangelicals in the election as though there was a presumption that this is a doctrinal worldview. So what do we call ourselves, as long as words are important here— um, fundamentalist is not a bad word. It means going back to the root, but that, is, that was a worse pejorative before the word evangelical. So how do we identify ourselves now as followers of Christ? Right. Well, I mean, I think Christian
1: is a good (laughs) word to use, but again, that gets, you know, redefined in so many different ways. But it's really important for our audience to understand the importance of the word evangelical within the deconstruction conversation, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times the hashtag exvangelical will be used synonymously with the deconstruction. And so if we think of the word evangelical, that's another one, kind of like deconstruction, that people define all sorts of different ways. And there's really not an agreed upon definition of what that even means. In recent studies that have been done that have evaluated the theological beliefs of evangelicals, These were self-professed evangelicals, so we don't even know what they meant when they were taking these surveys to know what their theological beliefs were. So, you know, I think classically people appeal to the Bevingtons quadrilateral, which uh, characterized evangelicals as having an emphasis on personal conversion. Biblical authority, an emphasis on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and then activism, which really in that context meant preaching the gospel globally mm. around the world. Well, if that's what an evangelical is, sign me up. I'm an evangelical, right? Exactly. And then, of course, <laughs> yeah. But then, when when the ex-evangelical sees the word evangelical, they see the things you just mentioned: misogyny, racism, homophobia, and then like conservative political values. And however that spectrum might lead all the way to rabid support of Donald Trump. So that is what they're leaving, but they throw the whole thing out altogether.
0: Completely, completely. The book is called The Deconstruction of Christianity. It is brilliant. I would have expected nothing less. The subtitle really helps you understand what is what it is that's deconstruction, why it is destructive and how to respond. Alisa Childers is the co-author along with Tim Barnett. It is a work for our time. And as we noted earlier, this is not going to go away anytime soon. So how then shall we live, said Dr. Francis Schaefer back after this. have the distinct privilege, and boy, is it ever a privilege to talk with Alicia Childer. She is really making the church think and contend, and both are needed in these latter days. As good is called evil, evil is called good, and we're seeing a movement away from the church calling itself deconstructionism. But it really and truly is about abandoning sound doctrine of creating, if you will, a worldview of your own construction where, if I may be so bold, in the end, you shall be like gods. And uh, Elisa writes about this. This really goes back to the first deconstructionist with Satan himself in the Genesis story. And it's just a wonderful way of breaking this all down. Let me, if I can, talk about some of the things that apparently are the five basic points that you write about that ex-evangelical, ex-evangelicals Um, say that they have an umbrage with when it comes to Christianity. A literal reading of the Bible, a belief that women are to be submissive to men, a belief in the sanctity of heterosexuality, heteronormativity, and the rejection of homosexuality as sin, the assumption that the American way of life is best, and last, identification and partnership with political and social conservatism. If I can there quickly, I want to take a look at two things. One of them is, and you make this excellent statement, about reading the Bible literally, which means, and you write in the book, reading literally means believing that the Bible communicates literal truth, but not always in a literal way. It's a superb summation. Explain to our friends what you mean by that.
1: Right. Well, a lot of people in the deconstruction movement are rejecting what they call a literal reading of the Bible. And, uh, but but the problem with that is that they're, it's not like they're coming to it with good tools of hermeneutics saying, okay, well, right. where are the figures of speech? Because mm-hmm. every Christian, you can go to any conservative seminary across the nation, and they're going to teach you that the Bible employs figures of speech. Nobody reads when Jesus says he is a door. Nobody reads that as a, thinking that Jesus is made of wood and has hinges. And, you know, there's all sorts of figures of speech in the Bible. There's mm-hmm. different genres. And so the deconstructionists tend to say, well, you know, you take Genesis literally, therefore we're rejecting that. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if you're saying that I'm taking history literally, yes, I am. But of course we are also recognizing figures in speech, but there's always a literal meaning behind the figure of speech. But what's interesting, Janet, is in the deconstruction hashtag... Some of these deconstructionists are the most wooden literalists you'll ever find. They're accusing (laughs) conservatives of being literalists, but they'll say, you need to reject your Bible because it teaches X, Y, or Z. And And you're thinking, well, they're appealing to some Old Testament law that Jesus fulfilled that no longer applies to us. Do they not know this do they Are they just taking the Bible so literally that they don't understand that there are these tools they can be using to interpret it better? But often, I think it's a little bit hypocritical um, that biblical literalism one in particular
0: yeah, I couldn't agree more. You also said something, and um I'm loathed even though I'm coming to you from the nation's capital to get into a political conversation, but I am all about worldview, just like you are as well. And I think it's important to point out something that you and Tim wrote in the book. For Christians, politics will flow downstream from theology. In other words, how we vote and engage politically will be informed by what we believe about God and what he says in his word. You know, I didn't take a class one day and say, whatever the public policy issue is, oh yeah, I got an A in that class and that's why I'm voting this way my worldview is the grid through which I look at these public policy issues. But for some people, that seems to be cryptic and problematic. Give me your take on that.
1: Yeah, well, there was some sociological research that was released a couple of years ago about the difference of belief between progressive Christians who are related to deconstruction and that Progressive Christians have deconstructed into progressive Christianity. And so they compared the views of progressives and conservative Christians, both theologically and politically. And what they discovered is that for conservative Christian, their politics flows out of their theology, whereas for progressive Christians, their theology flows out of their politics. So in other words, they start with politics and then form theological beliefs based on their political views. So you can see why for the deconstructionists, and in particular the progressive Christian deconstructionists, to look at the evangelical political conservatism as anathema, because for them, the, it's the It's the liberal politics that start their worldview, and then they 'll make their theology fit into that, so I think you know it's fair to say that real Christians are probably at this point going to lean conservative politically because that's the party that's standing you know that's the viewpoint that's standing for the ethic of life and and you know biblical marriage and things mm-hmm. along those lines now, whatever the words end up being, we're always going to stick with what the Bible says on these issues, whether the world turns them into a political issue or not, exactly. and I think that's the thing that a lot of Christians fall for this idea that oh, because something's political, I don't want to fall f- I don't want to talk mm-hmm. about it. Well, you know, abortion wasn't political 60 years ago. The world made it political. That doesn't mean we ha- now have to shut up about it. And so, I think that there, you know, it's it's a bit of an unfair criticism. Because, you know, it's not like I'm saying whatever this party says I'm going to go with. Of course not. I'm going to measure it against Scripture, as every Christian should do. And that's really what we should be doing as Christians, is forming our political beliefs flowing out of what the Bible has to say about these things. And I think the Bible does say that we should care about how we treat one another and how our governments are run. And so we should be involved. But... The problem is, is that everybody gets lumped into one thing. So if you lean socially conservative, well, then you must be you know, ready to form a militia in the name of Donald Trump. Like that seems to be the, the idea in the deconstruction hashtag, which, of course, is ridiculous. Exactly. But some
0: they're free form with argument ad hominem. I mean, there doesn't have to be substance. And if we go unpack this idea, of being in a post-truth world. It's about their feelings, so truth be hanged. It isn't even imperative anymore about whether or not it's a declaration of truth. It's how I feel about it, and also using an argument ad hominem, going against the person is a pretty strong indicator you're losing the debate. Rather than going to the merits, you're going after the person. And unfortunately, I see an awful lot of that in deconstructionism as well. Let me come back. There's so, so much in this book. I'm going to give you, my friends, fair warning. I'm at the 50-yard line already. I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. My book has all kinds of tags in it because there's so many things I want to talk to about, uh, talk to Alicia about it. So let me just suffice it to say, I'm thrilled. I have another half hour to talk with Alicia, but there are wonderful, wonderful thoughts and concepts and ideas in this book that you simply must read. The Deconstruction of Christianity, back after this. through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other is essential for each of us on our walk with Christ. And that's what we do on In the Market. We examine culture, interpret the headlines, and look at the news from a biblical perspective. When you become a partial partner, you're directly responsible for putting this program on the air, reaching men and women across America with the practical application of God's Word. Become a partial partner today by calling 877-Janet-58 or go to in the market with inthemarketwithjanetparshall.org. We're visiting with Elisa Childers, who's a wife, a mom, an author, a podcaster, a blogger, a speaker, and a worship leader. She's an award-winning CCM recording artist, being a part of the group Zoe Girl. Now she is a respected speaker at Apologetics and Christian Worldview Conferences. And the host of her popular YouTube channel. And by the way, she's written for the Christian Coalition, Crosswalk, The Stream, For Every Mom, Decision Magazine, The Christian Post, the list goes on and on and on and on. Another gospel book that she wrote, absolutely fabulous. Her own story through what it was like to be wooed into this world of deconstructionism. But thanks be to God, she decided instead to dig into the word of God. And now we have this marvelous apologist as a result. Her second book, Live Your Truth, is a fabulous, fabulous book. It really speaks to this idea, and it replicates Genesis again, chapter 3, that you shall be like God's, that everybody now is their own truth teller, which, by the way, All you have to do is spend the first day in philosophy class and understand that that idea falls under its own weight. We all can't have the same truth. My truth would cancel out Elisa's. Elisa's would cancel out yours. So the bottom line is, is there is one objective, knowable truth that came to us from the truth giver himself. And that takes us to the third book that she's written. And there is a continuum in her writing. This one is called The Deconstruction of Christianity. What it is, why it's destructive and how to respond. So Alicia, in the book, you talk about cause and effect. You write in deconstruction, if deconstruction is the explosion, then crisis is the burning fuse that detonates it. And then you rightfully, and I say that because it really echoed some of the thoughts that I had about what are the causal factors? I'm a typical firstborn why person. So why would somebody do this? There has to be cause and effect. I don't think they become a deconstructionist or start this journey ex nihilo. There has to be something in their life. And so you point out that suffering and doubt can play a part in all of this, that the Bible certainly plays a part of this, the purity, culture, politics, as we've talked about before, abuse, morality, toxic theology. Pick any one of those and talk about how that does because, as you rightly said, the fuse that starts somebody to say, I'm going to walk away. And so often I really think it, they get hurt by either the hypocrisy, which is often identified, but you and I both know C.S. Lewis said Christians are the best argument for and against Christianity. And that's been going on since the way started in the first century. So welcome to reality. Uh, but we are ambassadors. And so we should do our best to try to represent that king who has made us ambassadors for his kingdom. But so what I, I was reading that and I thought, if those are the causal factors and they've been around since time immemorium, how in the world do we stop? And I'll use the word a second time the juggernaut of deconstruction if these causal factors are not going to go away anytime soon. Maybe we can mitigate, but I don't know that we can eradicate.
1: Right. I mean, as long as you have the church, you're going to have sinners who you know, are, are part of the church and running the church, so there's going to be church hurt as long as there's a church. And so I, I think that there, you know, we have that social media component in the background, that social contagion element. But one mm-hmm. of the questions that Tim and I really wanted to get to the bottom to as we were writing this book was, why is it that you could have two people that grew up in the exact same household, the same church, have the same pastors, go on the same mission trips, have virtually a, you know, the same experience spiritually, and yet there can be a crisis and one deconstruct and one become an even stronger Christian oh, or right. have a series of crises that overlap on one another? And so as we were thinking through that question, we were thinking about foundation. It all starts with the foundation that you have and and theoretically two people could grow up in the same household and at the same church and one really have a real relationship with Jesus have truly trusted in Christ And have another who just maybe thought they were a Christian because they liked Christian culture, they spoke the language, they liked the community, they believe maybe some of the right things, but maybe they've never truly trusted in Christ. Well, then a crisis comes. You have maybe the moral failing of a pastor, even the mishandling of that moral failure. You might have a legitimately horrible experience of spiritual abuse, uh, whether that be sexual abuse by a youth pastor or even just the bully pulpit of a narcissistic pastor. All of these things are real, and they can come together to make a crisis for somebody. And it's, it's we don't really speculate about whether or not somebody was truly saved or not truly saved, but we're just going with their words. But it seems to me like if you read these deconstruction stories and you listen to them, the ones who walk away, you cannot pinpoint a moment in their life in the past where they recognized they were a sinner, cried out to Jesus to save them. And because you can't deconstruct that when you are truly saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit and sealed by the Holy Spirit, you you can't deconstruct that. And so I think that there are, um, there's a coalescence of different crises, whatever they might be, church hurt, hypocrisy, but also Janet, there's just good old fashioned rebellion. There are Mm -hmm. people who become morally at odds with what the Bible teaches about for example, marriage and sexuality and gender. And so they're looking for a way, a justification to leave uh, the beliefs that they were given. So sometimes there's intellectual reasons given, but I think in almost every case, you're going to find some sort of an emotional or moral component that serves as the crisis that maybe rocks the foundation that wasn't there. But in the case of this person who was a Christian and truly saved and and had that foundation— that crisis is going to serve to draw them closer to Christ, and I'm not saying there's not going to be a lot of rocky time. Like in my case, I didn't even know what I believed at a certain point. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know if God existed, but there was just this thing in me that I just could not walk away from it, and so I think that it might be God shaking up the church a little bit, and out of His mercy, there might be people who never really saved, who might have gone their whole lives not realizing that, that this deconstruction is serving as a wake-up call to say, hey, maybe I'm not a Christian, and yeah. maybe God will call those people back. That's my hope.
0: Amen. See, I love your perspective on this tremendously. So let me linger for a minute and ask. I have so many questions to ask, you, but you made me think of something when you were speaking, which is there is an evangelistic zeal to some deconstructionists. Why? If you don't yes. believe, why are you recruiting?
1: Right, and that's an important question to understand. In deconstruction, they truly believe that we are the ones in a cult. They believe that we are the ones that are so toxic and so harmful to the world, so that just simply leaving quietly is not an option. There's an evangelistic zeal to deconvert others. And they make it very easy, because when somebody— discovers this community online, they have a, an infrastructure of community to, to run to when they disconnect from their church families, and, and sadly, Janet, a lot, a lot of times disconnecting from their parents and their brothers and sisters and their blood family that raised them in the faith, because they can so easily find this community online that's affirming them and celebrating them and even cheering them on in their decision to leave historic Christianity. Wow.
0: That's a superb answer. So let me go to the idea of truth, something that you write about with powerful eloquence on a regular basis. But it's also germane to this conversation because you've talked about the Word of God, which is truth, by the way, with a capital T. The Bible, and Barna's information points this out to us, the Bible does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And yet we've got, here's the word again, multiple percentages, double digits, pushing upwards to 50% of uh, evangelical Christians who think that it contains, it is the word, it doesn't contain, it contains the word of God rather than it is the word of God. And there's a marked distinction between those two. But you're right in the book, Christianity is not merely subjective truth. It is true truth. It is truth that explains reality. There's a presupposition in that. That's paramount, which is, this: is, there is our hearts are transformed, but our mind is renewed when we come to faith in Christ. There has to be an intentional decision on your part to decide that the Bible is truth rather than pick apart, look for contradictions. I almost said contraceptives. That's a whole other conversation (laughs) for a different day, but contradictions. And to be able to say it was written by arcane, ignorant people through a a verbal transmission of ideas that changed, and it bears no resemblance to the 21st century. So there is an act of the will at some point to be able to say, I believe it is the word of God. And therefore I'm willing to subscribe to it and submit to it. Uh, it does the yes. deconstructionist say I choose not to make that choice because was it easy for me? Uh, no, my basics in nature says there's a whole lot of stuff I'd rather do than the word constrains me from doing. Every moment of every day as a follower of Christ, I have to say no to what my flesh wants, to be obedient and to try to take on the, the character of Christ, to take on Christ, as the word says. That isn't easy for a single person. So how much of this is I reject truth. I don't want to make that choice. I'm going to make my own moral construction. And I have I have willed, I have decided the will precedes the emotion, Lewis said, I have decided in my will, I refuse to accept it as truth.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think we see that a lot. And I think if you can just reject the idea that objective truth. Is knowable in reality, especially when it comes to religion and morality, then it's very easy for you to get rid of the things in the Bible that are inconvenient for you. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't ask us to just plunge into the depths with a blind faith. We have mm-hmm. so many things we can test in reality, archaeological evidence, manuscript, yes. tr- um, you know, manuscript uh, transmission evidence. We have historical evidence. There are so many different ways that you can test the Bible in objective reality, but ultimately, if we have an accurate copy of the Gospels, then we have an accurate copy of what Jesus said. And if Jesus was truly raised from the dead, we should have the same view of Scripture that he had. And he called the Old Testament Scriptures the Word of God over and over and over again, and even appealed to their authority when he was fighting the devil, when the devil was tempting him in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. And so we have good reasons to trust in the Bible. But sadly, I think in the deconstruction movement, they might hear one skeptical claim against the Bible, and they'll use that as justification to get rid of the things that they don't want to believe are true, like biblical sexuality, God's design for marriage, and things like that.
0: Again, going back to the precious spirit in which you and Tim wrote this book, which was, again, with broken hearts, not with swords drawn, while there is brokenness for some people who have started down this path, at its core, let me ask you a real quick question as we go to break. Is there an element of rebellion in this?
1: Uh, I I definitely think there is, yes. Wow.
0: Again, if you're going to not submit to his will and his word, then your only alternative is you shall be like God. And that didn't work out so well last time I checked. Let me take a break and come back. Boy, is it just me or is this our flying? The book is called The Deconstruction of Christianity. What it is, why it's destructive, and how to respond. Lisa Childers is our guest. She wrote the book along with Tim Barnett. It is such a a word, an important word for the church today. Back after this. Lisa Childers is with us. She is teaching us how to think biblically, by the way, and that's so important. The book of Jude, small book tells us that we are to contend for the faith. There's an athleticism to that word, It really does mean knowing what we believe and why we believe it. And if you walk away from the objective, knowable truth of the Word of God, you are going to get lost at sea. It's just that simple. And so it manifests itself in a wide variety of ways, not the least of which is deconstruction. And in your book, Elisa, you write this, from the perspective of deconstructionists, there is no false theology to be corrected. There's only toxic theology to be deconstructed. How do they define toxic theology and what's the antidote?
1: So this is something that's really took us a minute to understand because, of course, we all want to reject beliefs that are toxic or harmful. But what Tim and I argue in the book is you can only know what's toxic and harmful if you first know what is true. So we use the example of walking in a room and you see somebody unconscious on the floor and someone else is standing over them beating on their chest. And you think, well, that's toxic, right? That's abusive. Unless the person laying on the floor has just had a heart attack and the person that's beating on their chest is doing CPR and trying to save their life truth changes, whether it's a toxic thing that's happening or a really healthy and and, uh, life-giving thing that's happening. So the problem in the deconstruction hashtag is that toxic and harmful beliefs are not assessed based on what's true in reality. It's based on your own internal moral compass. So if you feel harmed by something, then it's harmful. But it's it's important to understand its connection to postmodernism. So we're living in a culture that doesn't believe objective truth can be known when it comes to religion. Well, Imagine if you're the postmodern person and you hear the Christian come around saying things like, Well, um, you know, you're a sinner, you need to get saved, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he's coming again to judge the living and the dead, there's a place called heaven, there's a place called hell. These are these are statements about objective reality that are really not dependent or relative to each person. They're we're claiming that they're true for everybody. So for the postmodern person, for the deconstructionist, they're not even interacting with what you have said is true or false. They don't think you can even know these things. So their immediate knee-jerk reaction is to judge your motive. Well, why would the Christian be telling me I'm a sinner? Why would they be telling me that I might go to hell? Well, in the mind of the deconstructionist, that's just the church trying to control me with fear, and I need to break out of that system of oppression. So when the church says these things, They're just trying to prop up their institutions of power. They're just trying to keep you in the fold. You have to break out of that, according to the deconstructionists, in order to be truly free. So toxic theology is really any objective truth claim the Church might make that makes commentary on the state of your soul as a human being and your need to be saved and what might happen if you don't.
0: And it's subjective. It has to be. What one person calls toxic, another deconstructionist might not. In other words, it's your level of offense and what bothers you. Let me point out something that you write in the book, too, about something called the Evangelical Deconstruction Project. And you talk about a progressive evangelical Christian who wrote an article called The Deconstruction of American Evangelism. And he summarized a piece that, or a book rather, that was written by Jacob Allen Cook like this. What white and this was stunning, what white evangelicals have labeled the Christian worldview, there's a striking resemblance to whiteness that is white centered and white hegemonic views, ways of viewing and arranging the world and responding to human difference. In other words, all those worldview conferences and I'm smiling because Elisa, you yeah. and I speak at these all the time. In other words, all yeah. those worldview conferences and seminars really may have been about teaching us how to think like white people not like Christian people. I'm pretty sure I, I never did that once, but this is how critical theory has worked its way into this. Explain about this nefarious connection between deconstructionism and critical theory.
1: Yeah, it's very important to understand that there is a strong connection and almost every deconstruction story flows out of critical theory, at least in the way that they think they know what they know. And what I mean by that is, One popular way of looking at knowledge in critical theory is called standpoint epistemology. Mm -hmm. And according to standpoint epistemology, your level of oppression and all the intersections of oppression that you can claim give you a higher moral authority to speak about issues of justice and injustice and race and women and men and all of these different things. So it's not like objective reality is what you're going to, but you're going to the marginalized person to inform you. And that is what we see in the deconstruction hashtag. In fact, there's one very popular deconstructionist who said, if you have not decolonized your theology, you have not deconstructed. And what she means by that is all those things I mentioned in the last answer, the, you're a sinner, you need a savior, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, all of these are just a product in her view, and according to this view, that's just a product of white supremacy. And so if you believe those things, you're actually a racist, you're actually a misogynist, you you're you just are siding with the patriarchy and whatever other evils they think are lurking behind those corners. And so in order to decolonize your theology, you have to get rid of those kind of objective claims that they think exist only to control you with fear. And this is what TikTok video after TikTok video claims in that deconstruction hashtag. So the connection between that oppressed versus oppressor mentality of critical theory cannot be over-exaggerated in the deconstruction movement. In fact, I don't even think you would be accepted in that movement if you didn't embrace that, at least to a certain degree.
0: I think you're spot on, only in deference to time, because there are so many other things I'd love to talk to you about. I, I love to end on an optimistic note. You've already given me one answer that's optimistic, which is, God may be shaking his church, and that's a good thing. If people are vacillating, if they're limping between two opinions, as it says in 1 Kings, this is an opportunity to stop and do some personal inventory about what is right and true and good and knowable. But how do we turn this around? Because the the arguments, you know, and my heart breaks for those who have started down this very dangerous trail, and I know so much of it emanates from hurt. And I want to make sure that in my walk with the Lord, I don't do anything to contribute to that hurt in anybody's walk with the Lord so how do we turn this around or is this an inevitability that we must just accept
1: well I don't know I I think I don't know if we can turn it around or if it's inevitable I think God knows that in his sovereignty but what we can do is we can pray for our loved ones in deconstruction we can do what we can to love them and maintain that relationship share the gospel with them and and just trust the sovereignty of God that this is under his control and there's always hope.
0: Yeah, amen to that. And Lisa, you said something at the beginning that I want to underscore again. You have heard this if you're older than five minutes in your walk with the Lord. You have heard from the get-go how impair- how imperative it is that you stay in the word of God. The book of Colossians says there's a war out there, and if you're not careful, you and I can be taken captive. The words to the church at Colossae, you can be taken captive by vain and hollow philosophies predicated on this world rather than on the word of God. You want your anchor to hold, as the old hymn says, you stay grounded in his word. Question, more time on your laptop, checking your email or in the word? I can't answer that question for you, only you can. That might be a good temperature read on where you are in terms of spending time in his word. Alicia, may the Lord just use this book in a powerful way to wake up a church that needs to go back to the cornerstones of Christian orthodoxy. Thank you for who you are and all you're doing. See you next time, friends.